Hi everyone, welcome to module two. So now let's walk through all of the reading for um, module two. You know, make sure that you have your textbook open while you're listening to this. I would have your CPA out um, to take notes along with, you know, a notebook and then be pausing me as you go. I think that's the best way to use these podcasts for your success in the course. So we're going to start with chapter 17. This is preoperative care. On the bottom of page 229, or 299, sorry about that, um, it talks about the six reasons why surgery is performed. Uh, have a basic understanding what the word means, and that's all we're looking for, just that you understand that. Remember, as we are talking about this, it's do you understand what some of these terms mean and how to inform the patient? That's really what the importance is for the nurse to know. Um, on, the, on page 300, there is table 17.1. That might be helpful for you um, because you know, you're gonna see lots of surgeries. So surgeries are going to be um, throughout this course in the different um, modules we have. You're also going to have it in MedSurg two in MedSearch three. This table 17.1 is not something that would be testable, but it might help you when you see, especially in clinical, see um, surgeries to help you figure out what they mean. Um, the different surgical um, settings, so knowing there's an elective surgery versus emergency. Um, sometimes people come in same day to have surgeries, then go home. There's ambulatory surgery, which also is outpatient patient surgery. And sometimes people actually have surgery and they have to stay in the hospital. Um, the important part is about the assessment in the preoperative period. So if you look on the bottom of page 300, the subjective data, you know, some things I want to point out is that, you know, you really need to look at table 17 to read through that, have an understanding of it. Um, you know, if your patient is extremely anxious, this is something to inform the, sur the surgeon about. There's a lot of fears, the common fears that are with surgery. I think it's important to read through those. The fear of death. If you have a patient who has a very strong and intense uh, fear of death, something you want to tell the surgeon about. You know, we don't want people to go to surgery who are under psychological distress if we can help it. You know, sometimes if it's an emergency surgery, like it's a trauma, it's just going to happen. But if there's some fear of death, you know, that impending sense of doom, we're going to talk about is there something else going on with that patient that we need to evaluate before we send them to surgery. Along with your assessment, you're gonna ask about their past health history, you're gonna ask them about medications. It's important when you ask someone, you know, any every patient that comes in, you do a medication reconciliation. This is with every patient that's admitted to the hospital. You wanna make sure that you ask if they're taking any supplements, any herbal products. People aren't going to think that those are medications, okay? They don't usually refer to them. It's important to know if your patients are on any kinds of antiplatelet drug like aspirin or Plavix, if they're taking NSAIDs, those need to be stopped um, before surgery. Blood thinners, they need to be stopped before surgery too or switched onto something else. So if you have someone who has Coumadin, they would, or uh, Warfarin, they'll come off of that, maybe have heparin, have a heparin bridge. Um, so just asking about those. 
Um, then allergies, it's very important to talk about allergies. I'm gonna come back to allergies when we are actually in the intra-op area and talk about a specific allergy I really want you to know. So then the review of systems. So you need to you know, think about all the things you're looking for. This is a really good in-depth uh, assessment. So this is bringing your information forward from uh, your assessment class. I think looking at table 17.4 is very helpful um, to have you look at that as the th important things that you need to know when you're assessing someone pre-op. Then you're going to um, think about the labs. So you need to know common preoperative preoperative diagnostic studies. I want you to know your CBC, your hemoglobin, your hematocrit, your white blood cells. I want you to know your platelets. I want you to know the numbers. I want you to know your electrolyte numbers because especially since we're going to study electrolytes in module four. So, um, so that you can identify when you go through the pre-op checklist when a lab is uh, abnormal and needs to be reported and possibly we're not sending that person that person to surgery. And the bottom of page 306, it talks about preoperative teaching. You really need to prepare the patient for surgery, tell them what it'll be like, tell them the process, tell them what it's gonna be like, prepare them when they wake up. If you wanna read through table 17.6, it gives you a good overview of things that you need to cover. Also, you know, we need to make sure our patient is NPO. So you're going to do what the order says. But if you look at table 17.7, you can just look at it and go, huh, they say they can have clear liquids up to two hours. It's going to depend on the status of the patient, what kind of surgery, um, and you'll have an order that the doctor will tell you. Um, a lot of times it's NPO for food. Um, at midnight and they can't have clear liquids up to a certain amount of hours before surgery, but you will have an order. Then it's about informed consent. It's a big priority in this chapter. So understand informed consent. That's on the page 307. Talk about um, all the things that are need to be part of the disclosure of the surgery, which is part of informed consent. That's really important. Has to be done before the patient has any kind of sedation medication. Um, they also, it must be voluntary. You need to have an understanding that the surgeon is the one that is disclosing all that information. As the nurse, we need to ask the patient to tell us about what's gonna be done so we're confirming their understanding, but we do not tell them about the surgery. That's what the surgeon does. Uh, day of surgery, you want to look at the nursing role, and that's on the page, bottom of page 308. So what your responsibilities are, about medications we might give preoperative, um, some of those medications may be uh, sedative. Um, so we want to make sure informed consent is okay before that. We want to make sure that the 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 operative site has been marked before that and they've gone through one of the checks. Um, and then you're going, and antibiotics will be given. So we'll talk about that a little bit in the OR um, section, but you wanna make sure that you're giving the medication. Um, it's so many times before the surgery is going to happen, you'll usually have an order. Sometimes they're on call to OR, which means when you give report, to the OR about your patient, they'll say go ahead and give that medication. The preoperative checklist is probably the 
big most important thing in this chapter and for what nurses do to prepare patients for surgery. So look at table 17.9 and these are all the things we have to make sure we do um, before we send a patient to surgery. All right, now we're going to skip ahead to chapter 18. The beginning of chapter 18 talks you through what the OR is like, talks you about the surgical team. I think it's a good idea to read through that, especially since you may have the um, opportunity to go down to OR during your clinical and observe. I mean, there's a possibility, it depends on your site, it depends on if you're patient, um, but if you do have that opportunity to have a good idea of what's going to happen in the OR, um, will help you. It's important. Then we're going to kind of skip about, and I'm going to point out the very specific things that I need you to know as a generalist nurse about the OR. Okay, so if you would be a nurse that goes and works in the OR, you'd have extensive training, but you need to know some very important things about what happens in the OR. Um, And these are things that you could very likely see on our exam, but also on your NCLEX exam. So on page 318, the positioning of the patient. So you wanna look at what you do as the nurse to make sure we prevent injury to the patient while they are um, under anesthesia. So go and look at that. Then the next is about how we prevent fires. So you can see figure 18.4, those are grounding pads. And so if electrosurgery, a bovi is used, we need to make sure that the patient has a grounding pad on to prevent a fire. We also need to know that if there's a prep used on the skin, um, those can contain alcohol and can be flammable. And that's another way fire can have happen. So, excuse me, you would want to make sure that that's dry. Also, using inhaled agents can cause a fire with electrosurgery. So, those are all things that you need to be aware of, of how we keep people safe from fire in the OR. On the page of 319, the Surgical Care Improvement Project, I really want you to know these three points. Um, these are initiatives, and you, you will see this. Giving that, that prophylactic antibiotic, it's between before 30 to 60 minutes before cut time. So meaning it's not, you don't give it um, unless you know when cut time is, okay? So you wouldn't say, oh, they're about to go, I'm gonna give it. No, it needs to be timed specifically. Um, Keeping them warm so that you don't have unattended hypothermia, and then also putting pneumatic compression devices on um, to prevent a blood clot then you need to understand about the time out. You know, that before anesthesia's happen, the patient should confirm their name, their birth date, uh, the procedure, the site, and that consent was done. And then all the members of the surgical team need to really introduce themselves and tell them what they're gonna do. And before they cut again, they're gonna verify the patient, the procedure, the surgical sites, and if anyone has concerns. And this is essential for you to know because unfortunately, um, before this was standard, people had surgery done on the wrong sides of their body, the wrong side of their brain, um, legs, arms were cut off in air. So this is why this is essential for the nurse to make sure that it happens when they're in the OR. 
On the bottom of 320, and it kind of goes across a couple pages, it talks about anesthesia. I do not need you to know about each anesthetic agent. As an RN, as a generalist RN, you're not going to be giving them. Now, you're going to care for people who have had them. So a very basic understanding. And when I say, like, what does moderate to deep sedation mean? What does general anesthesia mean? And what does that mean like when the person's waking up? And that sometimes for them to come out of anesthesia, it can be really tough. But I do not want you to memorize all of the um, general anesthesia agents because you have to be an advanced practice nurse to give those. Then there's local anesthesia. So you need to know that that's happening right at the site regional, so it's a little wider. There could be spinal anesthesia. So really just knowing those definitions so you could explain it very simply to your patient is what I need you to know. Now we're going to move to page 325 and I need to talk about anaphylactic reactions. So we're going to talk about latex allergies. So patients who have latex allergies, it needs to be communicated to the surgical um, team so that they can prepare the OR to make sure there's not an anaphylactic reaction. Now, people who have latex allergies sometimes test positive to one or more, um, at least one of, of foods. So there's foods that if people have an allergy to that you might be like, huh, you're allergic to that. I'm going to let someone know because you could be allergic to latex. Okay, so the, the, really, the foods are bananas, avocado, chestnut, kiwi, okay? And then there's a whole bunch more. I really think if you know those four, you're good. But I'm gonna tell you the rest. Tomato, water chestnut, hazel, hazelnut, guava, potato, peach, apricots, and grapes. So, if you see one of those food allergies, especially if you see, you're going to go, hmm, do you think they have a latex allergy? Okay. Um, the next, if, if, I, if I was trying to think about that, like how I'd ask that, I would ask them, like, have you ever had a reaction to a balloon? It's also another one because you know we have latex balloons. Have you ever had surgery before? So if you have a patient who's surgery naive, hasn't been to hospitals ever, right? So they may be naive really to the hospital, acute hospital setting, and they have one of these food allergies, definitely seems to be a priority that we need to find out, could they be allergic to latex? We may not know for sure, but what they'll do is treat them like they do, and then make sure that there's no latex products in OR. The next big important point is malignant hypothermia. This is a rare disorder. It's characterized by hyperthermia with skeletal muscle rigidity. It can result in death. It is a genetic trait. So this is the very most important question that a nurse can ask that can prevent malignant hyperthermia is to say, has anyone in your family ever had any problems with anesthesia before? If they say yes, you're gonna like report that on, okay? So, you know, they can have this rigidity, that high blood pressure, it can happen in OR, it can happen in that PACU period. Usually by the time, you know, they're in PACU for about two hours after OR, at least, by the time they come up to the clinical floor, probably not gonna happen there. So it's in that acute period 
Um, but that initially that rise in body temperature is not the early sign of it. It can be that rigidity, uh, some problems with oxygen consumption. So they would give them detrolene for treatment, but I need you to know that I'm going to ask if anyone's ever had problems with surgery. Okay, so now we're moving on to chapter 19. So chapter 19 is all about the post-operative care. So it's going to kind of delineate this into pieces of how do I care for that patient in the PACU, so the post-anesthesia care unit, the recovery room, all the same things. So if you look at nursing management, that's on page 331, it tells you the priorities of the PACU and then the priorities of the clinical unit. Also, when you're thinking about the clinical unit, that's us up on the med search floor. We're also going to look at table 1910, which is back a little bit, to give you the priorities of assessment and what you're going to do to that patient. I need you to look at table 19.4, the signs of inadequate oxygenation. You're going to see this in this module. You're going to see this in future modules because I need you to know that the big problem coming out of anesthesia, general anesthesia, is respiratory problems. Okay, so knowing that we're looking for someone who's having issues with um, possibly airway obstruction, hypoxemia, or they're not breathing, right? Because we talked about how when people are having anesthesia, they could have problems with not breathing enough. And also think about we're giving them opioids, right? We're giving them pain medicine. So we need to assess their level of sedation and what their respiratory rate is. Then the rest of the chapter is going to talk about all the problems that are post-op complications. There's a lot of them, but I want you to stop and think that these problems of post-op um, complications are very similar to the problems of immobility, which you probably had in your fundamentals course of things that we need to worry about when people are on bed rest. So we talk about respiratory. You know, when we have a patient before they're fully awake, they need to be in the lateral, the recovery position that's on page 335. We're also going to watch for oxygen. We're going to be listening to their lung sounds. We're going to change positions. And then when they're awake, we're going to have them cough and deep breathe. We're going to have them use the IS, um, the incentive spirometer, to make sure that they don't get atelectasis. Move on to cardiovascular problems. You know, we're watching for bleeding obviously, you know, making sure that their vital signs are okay. We're looking for um, making sure that their, their IVs are working. Early ambulation is really important to prevent complications. We also know that we're probably going to have on TETHOS or sequential devices because we're going to try to, we want them to not get a deep vein thrombosis, which is a complication after surgery. Um, people can have delayed emergence, so that means coming out of anesthesia, they can kind of have a problem, they can kind of get confused. It's really important that you have to assess them to say, are we having confusion because we don't have enough oxygen? Are we having confusion because of the pain medicine and the anesthesia? Um, pain, so we talked all about pain before. So the same things we talked about with the pain chapter are very similar. We talked a lot about, you know, PCA pumps. So this is the same information that you learned in module one, which is what you just need to keep remember for module two. Temperature changes. So, you know, you're going to make sure that they 
are um, passive warming measures, um, making sure that they're staying warm, um, making sure their O2 therapy, uh, you know, when patients shivers, that increases their uh, metabolic demand. And so it's important to uh, make sure that they uh, are not shivering, they're warm, and they have oxygen on. So then on 340, we're talking about GI and, you know, post-op ileus is really important. So you need to know about that. We need to know about, we're asking patients if they're passing gas um, because constipation is a huge problem. And urinary problems, we're looking for urine output. Urinary retention is a serious problem that can happen after anesthesia. So we want to make sure that they are voiding um, most hospital policies, um, if they haven't voided usually between six to eight hours, they may need to be catheterized. And lastly, the skin, so the surgical wounds. So we need to know that we're assessing those wounds, we're checking for bleeding, we're recording the drainage, and now we're on page 342. Um, and that is the main things I need you to know from this chapter. Then we're gonna skip to chapter 11. So chapter 11, I really just need you to remember the healing process. You had this probably in pathophysiology, the types of wound healing, primary intention, secondary intention, and tertiary intention. Um, just bring that knowledge forward. Um, but this isn't a patho class, so I won't be asking you questions about that per se, but it's definitely what you need to know. You know, like we're going to have... Uh, Primary intention is what happens when we use staples or have an incision, okay? Then on table 11.7, it talks about complications of wound healing. Uh, I want you to know what dehiscence is and evisceration, and we'll talk about that in class, and that how we're just going to monitor you know, for bleeding in the wounds from their surgical wounds. And then chapter 14, really, do you know what standards precautions are? Do you understand what healthcare associated infections are? Do you understand that we need to wash our hands and everybody needs to wash their hands to prevent the spread? You know, do I know how to take precautions and what isolation I need so that I don't give my new uh, post-op patient, um, I don't know, the patient down the hall I also have is in droplet precautions or um, and I didn't wear a mask in there, then I go into my patient. Or do they have MRSA, right? Do I have a patient who has MRSA, and then I have a patient who also had surgery? I hope the schedule that they thought about that before they gave that assignment to a nurse, but that you need to make sure that I'm really being careful. I'm washing my hands. I'm using hand sanitizer to make sure that I'm not going to inadvertently give someone an infection so that they don't get a healthcare associated infection. And that is the end of our reading. I know that's a lot, but hopefully that helped guide you through. You should have saw that a lot of the main things I told you were on your CPA assignment. And also don't forget to take a look at the do I know and understand, can I apply sheet that is on under the readings and podcast. Um, because that's also giving you a lot of the main points so that'll help lead you to what possibly could be asked on this exam and what's essential to know for nursing practice. Thanks for listening and have a good day.